And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles just for a few minutes to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, just want to share a couple of things with you. I want to read verses 4 through 6. There's obviously a lot in this context, but 4 through 6 is what I'd like to be the focus of our attention this morning. Before I read that, let me just share with you two stories. One is a story about a young man that uh, Eric and I met two weeks ago. Uh, we were up in New York City at the, uh, what used to be the consulate for India, now it's the place where you get your visa. So it's basically a company that has been tasked with the responsibility of uh, selling Indian visas to Americans. So... It's an interesting experience. It was a very frustrating day because you spend whatever you got to spend to get there and then you find out that uh, the computer system's down three hours into your wait. That's a little frustrating. But God is a God of appointments, isn't he? And standing in that line, we met a young man named Isaac. Isaac's about 25 years old and uh, he's planning to go to India to uh, teach music. He was in quite a situation because he couldn't get his visa. And he had sent all his stuff in, did not know where it was, and was uh, a little stressed and a little frustrated with the system that he found himself in. Got talking to him for a while, and then after we were done this frustrating experience, leaving without our passports, uh, we were walking down the road, and he was still kind of hanging with us. And uh, so I said to him, I said, uh, what are you doing for dinner? It's all didn't really have plans. I said, do you want to eat dinner with this? He said, sure. So ended up uh, going to uh, Shake Shack. Have any of you heard of that? First time I was in one, I think I was in Indiana. Indian, yeah, Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Shake Shack. So we went there and had dinner with him. And just sometimes when you're in a situation, you sense that God wants you to bring up the gospel. So we brought up the gospel. And uh, you know, kind of said, well, where do you stand with things of God, Christianity? How does that all settle with you? He went into an explanation that was quite enlightened for a man who doesn't know Christ. It was absolutely fascinating to me. At one point in this discussion of journey, he talked about, he used two words, vicarious and substitutionary, to talk about biblical Christianity. And I was like, where'd you find, where'd you get that? He said, I wanted to know about Christianity, so I started reading the Bible. He said, I'm an atheist, he is an atheist. I said... I said, well, how'd you come across those words? That's like the heart of, of biblical Christianity. That's, that's what it's all about. This idea that Christ in our place died as our substitute, bearing the wrath of God for our sin. And he said, that's my problem. He said, that's the part I struggle with. He said, I can't accept the idea that someone else would bear the consequence for my bad decisions and behavior. He was absolutely sincere. I encouraged him, I said, well, why don't you just keep wrestling with that thought, with that point. So the thought that was, and it was offensive to me, he said, I just, I, I can't. I could not accept that Jesus Christ died and in that dying had to bear or take responsibility for my wrongdoing. All right, that was his tripping point with Christianity. The point that caused him to say, you know what, I don't buy it. 
earlier in the month of August, a major denomination in the United States of America was seeking permission to amend the words to a very popular hymn. The hymn is In Christ Alone. All right, they were revising their hymnal, wanted to retain the song because of how incredibly popular it is with people in America, okay? Because it does have a powerful message. But they refused to keep it unless they could amend the song. You start to say, okay, so what, what, what aspect of In Christ Alone would be causing such offense that it wouldn't be included in the revised hymnal unless a certain phrase in the hymn was changed? All right, does that have your curiosity? What line of in Christ alone is so bad that we're not going to include it in the new hymnal unless this phrase can be amended? And here's the phrase. On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Okay? The key word that was the stumbling block wasn't wrath, although it's tied into it. It was the word satisfied. And one of the arguments was, well, that's tantamount to divine child abuse. That God poured out wrath on His Son, and we find that pouring out of wrath on someone to be utterly objectionable. And there are certainly issues in the discussion with the word wrath, as you'll see. They wanted to replace the words, the wrath of God was satisfied with the love of God was magnified. Because in the word love, there's no offense. There's no sense of God being Angry justly towards human rebellion. All right, that, that God is, is in, in this picture, he's emotionless, he's only positive. He doesn't have any wrath against sin. I don't know how you can look at the cross of Christ and see only love. I don't. In fact, I, I would challenge you to look at, through the Bible and find the cross described simply as the love of God. It is always portrayed as the place where the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God, who freely gave Himself in utterly amazing love to bear the price for our sin. That's the essence of the gospel. The chairman of the hymnal revision committee said this, most of the committees didn't want the new hymnal to suggest that Jesus' death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice that was needed to satisfy or assuage God's anger or wrath over sin. One member said, the cross is not an instrument of God's wrath. So the thought of God's wrath being satisfied in the death of His Son is, this goes back to the word Isaac used, unacceptable. To their credit, the authors of the song, Townsend and Keith Getty, rejected the amended version, so the song was removed from the revised hymnal. Because the word satisfied, they argued, means that Jesus paid the whole price for our sin. And the song is intended to proclaim the whole gospel. That in our rebellion, we have put ourselves in a place where we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the justice of God against us. But in Christ, God has provided someone who stands in our place and bears the wrath of God willingly, intentionally. So that God doesn't simply ignore and become unjust. But that God satisfies and justifies His wrath through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And so the key word in this understanding of the gospel becomes, it is finished, that on the cross of Christ, it was not simply an act. It wasn't, it wasn't simply a, an illustration of love. It was an actual expression of love. On the cross, something actually occurred, actually happened. A payment was actually paid. A debt was actually truly canceled. The debt of my sin. The debt of everyone who will believe. Romans 3.25, Paul says it this way. He says, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. If you are familiar with the old King James Version, the word there is as a propitiation, a wrath receiving and removing sacrifice. That's the idea. Okay, that on the cross, what happened? The wrath of God was borne by someone else so that you don't have to bear it, and it was taken away. That wrath of God was satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when Paul thinks about this idea, what happened on the cross, he sees it as a place where the wrath of God against sin was removed by being placed on someone else. And everyone, Paul then goes on to say, that has faith in his blood, experiences forgiveness and cleansing and newness and freedom from sin. That's what we have in Christ. The, the thrust of the argument that Isaac is putting forth and that the, the hymn committee is putting forth is this. What does the death of Jesus mean? Was it a wrath-removing sacrifice for others or was it simply an illustration of amazing sacrifice that had no actual point? Do you see? So it's possible for people to talk about the death of Christ and say, oh my, you know, that, that is just an amazing thought. That, that, that someone would, would give their life like that. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. If the giving of Jesus' life on the cross did not accomplish something, there is nothing about it that is beautiful or admirable. Do you see? It's, quite honestly, it's absurd. If it didn't really accomplish something, if it didn't really resolve a debt if it really didn't bear the wrath that i deserve then it's it's absurdity at its worst that's what isaac is saying right I just can't accept that thought I, it, now but keith getty gets it exactly right in this song on the cross as jesus died something happened the wrath of God that was directed towards Tim Hoff was borne by Jesus Christ so that if I would receive his payment on the cross by faith alone, my life could be changed forever. And the wrath of God that was moving in my direction could be directed to the Son of God on Calvary's cross. And it's that theme that Isaiah 53 captures so wonderfully and powerfully. Would you listen to these words from verse 4 through 6, which is the heart of this chapter? It says, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace <clears throat> fell on or was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. 
This is the common ground this morning. Please understand this, folks. This is our common ground this morning. We all, like sheep, go astray. Each of us turns to his own way. We want life on our terms. There's Isaac in every one of us. Isaac is not an anomaly. Isaac is normal. The Lord has laid on him. Yahweh has laid on his son. The iniquity of us all. I want to make three observations from this text. Three statements that I think, or or if you will, uh, assertions that are supported by this text that help us to understand what did the death of Jesus mean so that when we say on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, that we understand that means something. That's not just a pretty picture. That's not a, a nice sentimental thought. No, something really transpired. The first thought I would give you this morning is this. Jesus suffered for others. Jesus suffered for others. So as you read through verse 4, he took our infirmities. And I want you to notice the pronouns. He carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him, verse 6, the iniquity of us all. Okay, so, so what, what's it saying? On the cross, Jesus Christ suffered for others. The idea that comes into play here is substitution. Substitution is this. It is place taking. Okay, it is looking at the cross and realize that I should be the one that's on the cross, not Christ. It's my sin. But understanding the power of substitution from the biblical perspective that Jesus stood in your place and bore the wrath of God against my sin and yours. One writer summarized it in this way. He said, Jesus does not suffer beside us. Okay, he doesn't doesn't snuggle up alongside and say, you know what, we'll get through this together. Now think about that. If Jesus said, what you deserve for your sin is hell, and I am going to go there with you. Think of the difference. Think of the difference. He suffered for you. He didn't suffer beside you. He suffered, please listen, instead of you. Folks, that is the heart of the gospel. I want to... What do I want to do with Isaac? Well, I wanted to love him in Christ. But I wanted to shake him. Right? I say, Isaac, in saying I should bear the consequence for my own sin, you cannot understand what you're saying. You can. And what happens? We have a minimized view of sin, a minimized view of the just wrath of God. And in the end, we have a weak love of God. We have a Savior who comes and suffers with us. Biblical Christianity says Jesus Christ came and suffered for us and instead of us. So just let let that truth kind of simmer down into your heart. On the cross, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God that my sins deserve. What should have happened to me happened to him. 
He suffered in my place. Secondly, Jesus suffered willingly. Okay, Jesus suffered willingly. He did not come to take a risk. Okay? He didn't come to see if they would crucify him. He came to be crucified. So that this place of substitution was chosen by Christ. It is why he came. So in Mark 10, verse 45, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom, as a freedom price for many. So if you're in Christ, what do you get? You get the payment of your sin in Christ. And in Christ, you have freedom from the consequence of your sin and from the wrath of God. That is the heart of what occurs on the cross. And this suffering of Christ was a willing suffering. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So between the Father and the Son in eternity past, there was a settlement, an agreement that the Son would come to redeem fallen humanity and bring them back into a relationship with God through His personal sacrifice. He was not forced to do it. It didn't, ah, pushed a little too far, ended up getting killed, martyr, sorry. No. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, from Mark chapter 3 forward, you will find hostility rising against Christ and a repeated statement of His willingness and purpose to go to the cross to bear the price for our sin. So in verse 6 it says, The Lord Yahweh has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, it says, It was the Lord's will to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. That is a disturbing statement. I understand why people wrestle with this. But that's the truth of the gospel. We don't get to write our own gospel. And this is, in fact, what sets biblical Christianity apart from all world religions. That in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is satisfied by God Himself. Who has come and taken on flesh. In verse 4, it says, listen to the way this is stated about the Son Himself. Surely He took up our infirmities. Surely He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for us. He stepped into this place, offered Himself to bear these consequences for our sin. The end of verse 12 has an amazing summary statement here. It says, because He poured out His life unto death, He poured it out, and He was counted with, He allowed Himself to be counted along with sinners with transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and did what? He made intercession for transgressors. So this is the, the willing work of the Son. He suffered in our place, gave his life intentionally. Now, I want to tweak your thinking real quick. If I said to you this morning, who killed Jesus? How would you answer that question? I hope you would have to wait a second to answer the question, who killed Jesus? Because the first reaction is, well, well the, the Roman soldiers killed Jesus. And they did it because the chief priest and the high priest demanded that they kill Jesus. 
And they get other people to lie. And so Judas, the guy that betrayed him, and they, they killed Jesus. But folks, ultimately, who killed Jesus? Ultimately, God sent his son. And God allowed his wrath in his sovereign plan to be poured out on his son. That's what justice demanded. So it's, it's a, it doesn't absolve human responsibility, but it certainly brings into it an amazing factor that the Father crushed the Son so that you and I could be free from our sin. That's the difficult truth of this text. The last thought I want to give you this morning is this. Jesus' death satisfied, paid the debt we owed in full. And the words that capture that are found in the Gospels at the end of the crucifixion in each account. The words that Jesus Christ utters up, three words in English. It is finished. It is finished. It is what? It is paid in full. And that's exactly what the word satisfied in the song means. It's exactly what the word satisfied in Isaiah 53 means. It is exactly what the word means in it is finished. What I owe to God, that debt of sin, the wages of sin that is death, was poured out on Christ. What's the result? If you place faith in Christ and trust in Him, and I would beg of you this morning, if you never have, trust Him. Believe this good news of the gospel. And when you do, that phrase in this song, that phrase that was objectionable to our friend Isaac, will no longer be objectionable to you. It will be the ground of glory and the ground of grace and the ground of worship. Why? Because it is through the work of Christ who loved you and gave himself for you, willingly, freely, in your place, has fully paid the debt of your sin. Now, what happens in our Christian life? We have a bad day. What do we try to do? After a bad day, what we try to do is pay off that sin debt. Right? We punish ourselves. We try to, okay, I'm, I, whew, I had a bad day. I better start doing good so that when I go to pray tonight, God will hear me. True? So what have we done? Here's what we've done. We often, some of us on a more regular basis than others, take out the eraser and we erase the wrath of God was satisfied. We erase it. And we substitute and try to smuggle into this work of amazing grace our performance. That I'll get, I'll get back in good graces with God. I'll do good. Folks, every time we do that, what are we doing? We're denying the gospel. You know what God wants you to do in your sin? If, if you know him, he wants you to flee to him. He wants you to run to him. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Past, present, and future. That's the glory of the cross. That is the offense of the gospel. So when Paul would preach this gospel, what did he say? He would say, I know this gospel. This man dying in your place, bearing the full consequence of your sin. Him being the only way. It's an offense to religious people. Because what do we want to think? We want to think that I don't need a substitute. 
I need an illustration of love. I don't need an actual expression of love. I need an illustration of forgiveness, but I don't need actual forgiveness. I mean, does my sin seriously have consequence? The answer from Scripture is yes. The answer from Scripture also is this, that because of His great love, Jesus Christ went to the cross to bear the consequence of my sin and yours. This is what it means to say the wrath of God was satisfied. That every debt I owe to God because of my sin was indeed gone. Why? 1 Peter 2 quotes in the most extended fashion from Isaiah 53, tying this chapter to the work of Jesus. Here's what he says. I'll give you one verse. Peter says, he himself, I just look, he himself is an emphatic pronoun. Okay? He could have just said he. Why does he say he himself? He is emphasizing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he himself bore our sins in his body. That's substitution. Where? On the tree where he was pierced so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have what? Been healed. Do you see the payment picture? I deserve to be wounded for my sin. Christ is wounded for me. By his wounds what happened? I am healed from the wounds I deserve. They're taken away. That's the glory of the cross. And what is it? It's also the future promise of a full healing. We participated in today. One day it will be a full, absolutely miraculous healing. Isaiah 53, 5 says, The punishment that was upon him brought us peace. So that we don't have to live in angst over our sin and have anxiety over our sin. What can we have? Peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, what do we have? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what He did, through what He accomplished. I hope this settles in for you. This is the distinctive message of Christian missions, and it is the most important truth that you and I can share with those around us. To make the work of Jesus Christ for sinners known so that God may exalt it, be exalted in salvation and the rescue of people from China, from India, from Cambodia, from Rwanda, from Indonesia, from Garrison, New York, from Hackettstown, New Jersey, from Appalachia, West Virginia, from Washington, New Jersey, to Belvedere, New Jersey. Folks, he died for a purpose. It, it is to, yes, is it to magnify his love? Absolutely. But his love is not magnified unless his death meant something. Unless it accomplished something. And then we understand, as we see this death that satisfies wrath, then we understand that the cross is the greatest expression of love. And it prompts and transforms our love. Do you see? If Christ has loved you in such a radical way, in such a self-effacing and self-sacrificing, self-denying way, then how could you ever be the same? You've seen this. You've seen people experience a great blessing from someone and then turn their back. You watch kids betray their parents. And in your mind, what are you thinking? What are, what are they thinking? Right? You're astonished by that kind of betrayal that, that they poured themselves into this person. This person turned on them. It's troublesome. It, 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 it shakes you. 
Let the love of Christ shake you. Let the wrath of God being poured out on the Son, Christ, that satisfying sacrifice, let that shake you. And let it free you to love and serve and share with the people that God has brought into your sphere of influence. Let that love transform you. Let it squeeze out of your life time, margin for service. Let it squeeze out of your life, margin, time to share with people what Christ has done, to get engaged in their lives and to make a difference. If you're here this morning and you have not yet come to a place of believing this truth, if you say, Pastor Hoff, today, I, I, I understand a little better, but it still, it troubles me. My, here's my encouragement to you. Go to God and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I, I want that to be true. That on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God against me was deflected. It was satisfied. He does not come to suffer beside me. He suffered instead. Let that truth settle in and just say to God, God, I want to believe. This morning we're going to participate in the Lord's table. What is this? To be quite honest with you, it is a pretty brutal picture that is often cleaned up in shapely wafers. And beautiful juice. Okay, what is it? It is about a body that was broken for you. Instead of you. It is about blood that was shed. Perfect, righteous, holy blood that was shed for the remission of your sins and mine. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to think about Isaiah 53 about the one who stood in your place and run to him and thank him and enjoy the forgiveness that he gives you. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy it, however. And if you've never trusted Christ this morning, I just encourage you, just stay in your seat. Nobody's watching, nobody's counting. This is a celebration for people who have trusted Christ. If today you say, God has moved in my heart, the gospel makes sense, I believe, I would encourage you, when we start to sing, jump up out of your seat and go get the elements and partake of them and say, Lord, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your shed blood by which my life is utterly and completely changed. May God help us as his children to meditate on what it means when we sing truth that we don't even understand. The wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. May that be our confession. Father, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, 